everyone, and welcome to another issue of Playing With Myself Online. Uh, This is Christian here from DMs After Dark. This is my first ever episode of Playing With Myself Online. So uh, exciting, exciting times. So today I'm starting with a game that I'm not sure how many episodes ago, might go two or three, uh, we might finish it up in just one, but I have a feeling it's gonna go a little longer. But it is something I'm very excited about. It's a new game, uh, the Kickstarter just came out. The physical copies are not out yet. I have my digital copy. It is by a game designer that we have done uh, some other stuff for. Actually, Kent and Jess right now are playing one of our other games, Tangled Blessings. Uh, This one I'm playing right now is Carved by the Garden by Cassie Mothlin. And it is a solo folk horror journaling game. So I'm really excited about that because I really love folk horror. A little bit about Christian. I grew up in the sticks. More specifically, I just found out technically I grew up in upstate New York and technically I grew up in the Appalachians, part part of the Casco Mountains where I grew up are, are technically part of the Appalachian mountain chain. So I have always, it's weird, I've always been drawn to that sort of folk horror. And uh, here I am learning that it's because I'm an Appalachian. So cool. Yay me. But folk horror carved by the garden, Cassie Mothlin. You can find out more about it on her website, CassieMothlin.com. I heartily recommend you check out some of her games. They're really, really cool. So the idea of carved by the garden, I'm going to get into it right now, is a solo game. What I have, a standard deck of cards with the Jokers, which if you've heard me talk about games with cards, I'm not usually that big of a fan of them, but here I am with a deck of cards. A six-sided die, I got plenty of them. Eight small pieces of nature to act as tokens, leaves, pebbles, etc. I got some pebbles. A tumbling block tower, or a Jenga tower. Uh, I'm actually forgoing that. I'll talk about what I'm doing in a little bit of time because I don't feel like setting all this stuff up and I'm lazy. And something to write in, such as a notebook or a word processor. Also, uh, you know, it's interesting. This is a journaling game. You're kind of supposed to crawl up on a rainy, 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 cold, dark and stormy fall night and do this on your own and write in a journal. And here I am recording it for you. And I am opting to do this real time. I don't feel like doing a journal and then reading it back out. We are doing that with some other journaling games, but I'm going to more play this as a solo game and kind of hope that my chops are up to making this stuff up as I go along. We'll see what happens. Wish me luck. So the idea is, slipping through the pages here, my iPad up with it. Uh, Safety, I'm going to get disturbed. I will say safety warning. I have no idea what's going to come up, but some of the things that the game includes, I will read these for you. Fear, isolation, suspense, despair, violence, self-harm, claustrophobia, drowning, fire, stalking, gaslighting, allusions to cannibalism. That's a bummer. No real cannibalism. Snakes, insects, birds, spiders, body horror, suicide, abuse, lust, light sexual themes, and death. There isn't explicit child death or torture to animals, but the prompts may hint at these themes. So there's all sorts of stuff that could conceivably come up here. So as always, we want you to be safe as well. So if that's something you think might upset you, if it comes up, because I don't know if it is going to come up, be advised. So that being said, to start with a tumbling tower quickly, uh, because I'm flipping to the page, this is the next page here. I'm not using the tumbling tower. There's some excellent alternatives that you can use online if you want to, that you can work with the game as opposed to setting up a brick tower. The other one is just to to run a tally, make a mark every time you're instructed to pull from the tower. Once you have reached 20 pulls, the game ends. That's what I'm going for. Nice and simple. Uh, So that is what I'm doing. So let's get started. I got my cards. I got my dice. And the situation. The situation is those you live with are worried about you. Every day, you wander into the woods alone. When you return at dusk, a wild shadow lingers in your steps. 
those you live with wish to stop you, but their efforts have proved useless. You always find a way or a reason to return to the woods. Those you live with offer a compromise. Journal each day about your experiences. Those you live with promise they won't read your journal unless there's a night you don't come home. They beg you to be honest in your journal. You agree, but you wonder if they'll believe what they read. Ooh, spooky already. I like it. So going forward, Carved by the Garden is a structured journaling game where you document your character's likely last days in nearby woods. You love the woods. You fear the woods. You get the sense your unchaperoned visits into the wilds are nearing an end. You must make the most of the time you have left. During the game, you will roll a die, draw cards from a deck, read their associated events, and put blocks from a tumbling tower, place or remove tokens from a card, and write about your experiences in character. Who are the wicked woods? The woods are vast and mostly unmapped. Some landmarks exist in the minds of locals, but interestingly enough, no one can agree exactly where to find them. History and legends about the woods differ from person to person, religion to religion, and evidence to evidence. As soon as researchers feel like they've unlocked a path to the past, additional resources reveal their proposed truths to be inaccurate. This game is written with the idea that cell phones don't exist yet, but you want to setting closer to your present day. I'm going to say that they do exist, but there's just no signal in the woods. Basically, most people think there's something weird going on with the local woods. It doesn't have a specific season. I am going to uh, go with fall because it's fall and hopefully I'll be done with this in October, spooky season. Who doesn't love autumn? I'm an autumn, autumn baby. I was born in October. So that's what I'm rolling with. October, that time, the beginning of summer, end of summer, rather, beginning of winter. You know, warmth is leaving, darkness is rising, shadows are longer, days are shorter, and it is a spooky time. So let's start with who I am. Book says, you're human for now. I reside at the back of a dead-end road in the middle of the woods. You share your home with people who care about you. They're afraid of what you get up to in the woods. You know they can't control or stop you, but they don't want to lose you. You're a mud child, a wild woman, a dangerous man, a creature of the branches. Answer these questions about your character. In addition to come up with your name, pronouns, and time period, answer these questions before you start the game. So, what draws you to the woods each day? Who do you live with? Why do they wish you stopped visiting the woods? What would you do if you didn't go into the woods? And why do you fear the woods? So, there's some alternative reasons to go into the woods here, listed for characters. And uh, I have one that I kind of like here because it, it kind of relates a little bit to me. So here's what I'm going to go. I'm going to start with making my character. So we're just going to say character name is always a hard one. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to forgo that. Let's just say I will rename unnamed for now. I am an unnamed boy, and I say boy because I feel that within the context of this game and having people who care about you and don't want you going in the woods, I think it makes more sense that perhaps I'm a young person. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go actually with I am. Just, just graduated high school. Let's say 18-year-old boy. I live in this big house on a cul-de-sac by these woods. And I'm going to say that my parents moved here. I didn't grow up here. I didn't grow up upstate. We'll say it's, I'm going to say it's upstate New York. I'm going to drink heavily from the cup of uh, Christians past here and pull some stuff out. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. This is where we are. Uh, my character lives in a small town in upstate New York, and it, it butts the mountains. It butts those ancient, ancient mountains. And there's lots of woods and rumors about those woods in this town. But my family wanted to get out of the city. And so we moved up there. And we'll make it present time. So let's say they moved up here. Maybe they got away from COVID, right? Maybe they bought a house outside the city because now they can work remote. So we're moving and we're living in this small town. And so my last couple of years of high school have been kind of 
rough because I went from an environment uh, where I knew everyone and was kind of hectic in in the city to one where I am, you know, not knowing anyone at a very bad time to do that. And so here I am, the big city kid living in a big house out of cul-de-sac at the end of the driveway in these woods behind my house. And what draws you to the woods each day? So I live with my parents. And for time frame, we're going to say it is the autumn after I graduated high school. I should be going away to college, but something has stopped me. So it is fall after year I graduated. I'm writing this down. Who do I live with? My parents. Why do they wish me to stop visiting the woods? Because they want me to move on in life. Uh, they want me to go to college and they want me to begin my life. But something's stopping me. Uh, and here's where it gets into the thing that's stopping me. One of these things on the fork of a path is someone you know went missing and you're part of the search crew. Your journey details where you've searched and each day it gets more unhinged. So a little bit more personal detail, Christian. Uh, missing people is something that has missing and exploited people. Missing people, particularly for me, has been something that has affected my family. But even beyond that, uh, in the small town that I grew up, we had a couple cases of missing people while I was growing up beyond even just the family member that happened with my family. So it's something that always is It's a very eerie thing to me when someone just goes missing and there's no trace of them. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, Somebody I knew went missing. And someone that I knew, I'm going to say as a friend of mine, we're going to go with Jennifer. So Jennifer was, we're going to say, the only person that I really connected with within these last year and a half of high school after my parents moved up. Uh, She was maybe, I'm going to say, the other weird kid in school. So let's say my character, uh, he needs a name, I guess. I'm going to say I wasn't going to give him a name. He does need a name. I'm so bad at coming up with names on the spot. We're going to call him. Uh, we're going to call him Michael. So I am Michael. I am an 18 year old boy. And I moved up here from New York City and I befriended Jennifer in high school. She was the only other weird kid. Maybe she thought I was a little cool because I came from New York City and she wants to escape her small town. We'll say we were both well-read, so maybe we bonded over that. We read, we read the books. We read ahead in English class. We skipped. We read a lot of the books and read a lot of other books that we shouldn't read. Maybe read some, well, I won't say shouldn't, but kids our age don't typically read. So maybe we read some Kerouac and, you know, things like that. You know, that type of 18-year-old, you know, burgeoning literati. Uh, so we'll say that Michael was that. I'm going to say that Jennifer was that, too. And maybe there was, a you know, a nice teenage romance that was there. But tragically, it was cut short. Because Jennifer disappeared. We'll say she had a, do- a job. Uh, maybe she had a job working at a local fast food restaurant or diner. And she was the one who closed up that shift one night and just disappeared. Over the summertime, she just disappeared. We had been planning on staying together. We had been planning to go to local college together. Maybe my parents weren't that happy about that because they wanted me to go away. But I was going to stay to go to be closer with Jennifer. But that did not happen because... She left her job one night and disappeared into the ether. Nobody ever saw her again. Her car was found on the side of the road, and that's it. And as you can imagine, that devastated Michael, but it also devastated the community. And so it has been a summer of searching for her. Michael has been a big part of those search parties, searching in the woods. And as time goes on, you start search, stop searching for a live person, and he begins searching for a body. And then uh, eventually, kind of all peters out, and not as many people are searching anymore, and she's declared gone. Uh, And that's happened, but Michael has not been able to deal with that. 
So he's still out there searching every day. And his parents want him to move on. They want him to go to college. But he's, he's, he didn't. It's, it's October now. He didn't go to college because every day he's out searching the woods because he's convinced that something took Jennifer or someone and he needs to find her and he's not able to move on yet or not willing to move on yet. So that is what he's doing out in the woods every day. Uh, he's afraid of the woods. Why does he fear the woods? Because he fears that something took Jennifer, but his love for her and his need to know what happened to her and, and his need to possibly find her and help her if he can outweighs any fear that he has. And if he wasn't going in the woods, this is the other question. Uh, if he wasn't going in the woods, he would be in college. He would be in college and, and beginning his life, but he can't, he can't move on because he's too busy in the woods looking for Jennifer. So that is our setup. I'll just repeat it real quickly. So we have Michael living in a small town in upstate New York, up against those Catskill Mountains, lots of woods all over the place. Michael moved up there from the city with his parents uh, in the middle of COVID. His parents were able to work remotely and so they wanted to get out of the city. Uh, it's kind of a bad time to do it because Michael was in high school, did not adjust well. And here he is bonding with this girl, Jennifer, over some shared interests in reading and literature and poetry and things like that. And uh, they become a nice little couple, nice little teenage romance. But it's cut tragically short when Jennifer disappears one night after she is supposed to close up the restaurant she worked at. That happened in the beginning of the summer between high school and college. And since then, Michael has been unable to move on. He's out there looking for Jennifer. The search parties organized by the town and the sheriff have stopped. And Michael is the only one keeping that hope alive. He's out there searching all the time for her every single day. His parents want him to stop. His parents want him to let it go. His parents want him to move on to college. They, they acknowledge that he's brokenhearted, but they understand now that this might be bordering on unhealthy behavior and they need to, or they want him to stop. So they've come to this agreement that he's going to keep going into the woods all day, every day looking for her, but he's going to keep a journal to tell him his findings because if he doesn't come back one day, and this is what they're worried about, they want to know what he's written in the journal. So this is how we play. We've got everything set up. I'm not sending the tumbling block tower, so that's okay. We're going to just mark off things that we do. We roll the dice once and pull the number of blocks you roll. This represents that your connection to the woods is already starting to sever. Oh boy. And during the day, the day is divided into days you walk in the woods. Each day has two phases, the events and the journal. So the setup, the events, I roll a six-sided die. I use the result and draw that number of cards from the deck, placing them face down without looking at them. Flip over the first card and find its prompt in the table section. Complete any task the card tells you to do. Continue flipping over the cards you have flipped over them all. Discard the tower cards unless otherwise instructed. So first, day one, I'm going to mark these things down because now remember, I'm not using the tower. So the way I'm doing it is when I hit a tally of 20, the game ends. So we're going to start day one here. Michael going into the woods. It's early October and he's still looking for Jennifer out in the woods. And I'm going to roll a six-sided die here and pull the number of blocks or add up, in my case, the number of tallies. So I roll a four. So day one, four. I am 20% of the way already done on my tallies. So the second part is the events. I'm going to roll a six-sided die, use that result to draw that number of cards from the deck, placing them face down without looking at them. And so that is, oh, wow, that's a six. So that's that's a big start for the day. So I got six cards. Okay. 
So I got six cards, and then I have to flip them over, find its prompt, and continue flipping over. So all these cards, there's, there's a table in the book with all the cards, and we're going to flip them all over one more amount. So the first one is a 10 of spades. So we got to go to spades. Dirt, from which all life springs. It's worth more than you. And I got the 10 of spades. So Michael is out. And it's a full morning. Maybe there's some mist laying low over the over the um, hollows as he's walking through them in these woods. And he's he's covered a lot of ground. Sometimes he's, he's covered ground. He's already covered. But today he's out wandering, and he finds something that he hadn't before. He comes upon an abandoned but new shovel in a knee-deep hole. And for some reason, he, he finds this hole in the shovel, and he's just he feels compelled to take it and continue the work. So he takes it and he just keeps shoveling. And it's a cold, cold morning, but he begins to sweat. And the sweat's running in his eyes, stinging him as he's, as he's shoveling. And what does your shovel hit that makes you stop digging? Whose grave did you imagine yourself digging? Ooh, okay, so what do I hit that makes me stop digging? I'm going to say that he's digging, he's digging, he's digging, and he hits something plastic. And... It hit something hard. We'll start out with actually not plastic just yet. Although now I just gave away where I'm going with this. He hit something hard, you know, not necessarily unyielding, but something definitely hard. And it startles him. And he begins to, he gets down on his knees and he kind of scrapes away the dirt. And then the first thing he comes up with is, is, is a hand. Uh, and obviously that's a panic inducing thing for him. And he scrabbles and he digs a little bit more and a little more. And he grabs his hand and he pulls it out. And it's a cold hand because it's a mannequin's hand for, his, for some reason. For some reason, somebody had buried a mannequin out here, or half buried a mannequin in this grave and left it out here, perhaps as a joke, perhaps as some sort of you know early Halloween prank, perhaps because they're strange, but someone had buried a mannequin out here in the trees, in the woods. And obviously, Michael didn't think that. He thought that he was finding a grave. He thought that perhaps he found somewhere where someone was trying to get rid of Jennifer. But that was not the case this time. Next card is a Queen of Hearts. So he's a little shaken by that, as you can imagine. And he, he, he takes the shovel with him, I'm going to say. And, and he, he covers the rest of the mannequin up. He covers the hole. And he leaves. And he starts wandering through the woods further. And with the shovel in his hand. And the Queen of Hearts says, To combat invasive plants and large insect populations, the woods undergo controlled burns as needed. You didn't know one was scheduled for today, and the fire nearly caught you, chasing you into a deep creek. The sounds of screaming surround you. Why is the scent of your burnt flesh recognizable? What omens do you see in the smoke? Pull from the tower. Oh, crap. Okay, so. So I have a shovel. I'm just making a note. So he leaves. He leaves that that hole and he's very disturbed and he's not he's not paying attention because he found the weird false mannequin grave and he's wandering kind of using the shovel as a staff and as he does he begins to smell smoke and it begins to sting his eyes um get in his nostrils and then he hears that crackling of fire he's somehow wandered into this area of a controlled burn somehow all of a sudden it's all around him and even though it's fall and the invasive plants and the insect populations aren't around. This, this, this—it's dry. It's been a dry, dry summer, and it hasn't rained enough in in September. And so this fire is spreading through these hanging vines and these these older trees that he's walking through, and and he has to run for it because the smoke is very, very thick. It's getting in his lungs and in his eyes, and he runs and he runs till he finds a hollow, a deep kind of ravine he can run down to get 
get into some, get into a creek bed, which is probably the worst thing you can do because the smoke is going to go down. But he gets into this creek bed and he begins following it. He gets down on his knees, crawling in this creek bed. And as he's doing that, there's screams all around him. Screams, not of animals, but, but of something else. Maybe humans, maybe something else. He, he doesn't know. But he smells burnt flesh. He doesn't know why he even knows that it's burnt flesh, but he knows as soon as he smells it, that it's burnt. And he crawls and he just closes his eyes and, and falls on the bank. And, and before he knows it, the smoke is gone. What omens does he see in the smoke? That's a tough one. What omens does he see in the smoke? Perhaps that there's a history here, because I'm going to say that the smoke and the fire is gone when he wakes up. It was it was something that maybe Michael experienced. Maybe it was real. Maybe he just thought it was real. Maybe it was the woods trying to tell him something. But the omen he takes from it is that there are many stories in these woods and the screams say that there are many, many suffering souls. And so I pull from the tower, so that means that I have a tally of five. So far, on day one. And I have four cards left to go through. So my next card is a five of spades. So let's go back to these spades. And the five of spades say, you hear a harmonic gospel echoing through the trees when you follow the sound. Okay, so... This fire that maybe was, wasn't, maybe wasn't, is gone all of a sudden. Looking around, Michael sees some scars on the trees, scars of old burns, but they've also grown back since then. They've grown back. Now they're, they're dead or dying for the winter, but these trees have been burned before and grown back. Uh, and maybe he, he walked into an echo of the past with that burn, but he's wet and dirty and muddy now from crawling through the creek, and he's somehow along the way, he's lost the shovel. And he's kind of catching his breath because it all seems so real. The smell of the burning flesh, the screams, the burning trees, and the heat and the smoke in his eyes. And he takes a minute. And the wind seems to shift. It's a cool wind, cooler now that he's wet uh, from being in the stream. But he hears something on it. And what he hears is a singing. From somewhere far away, he hears a singing of voices raised in song. And so he begins, he begins to follow it. And as he follows it, he walks very deep into some tight underbrush where thorns thorns and prickers stick at him and tear at his clothes and scratch his face and maybe there's a little blood running down his cheek as he finally tears his way through some underbrush and he finds a small pond, very small, very muddy pond. And floating on the surface of this pond, he sees, at first he thinks, is it, is it ice? Is it, is it possibly, is it something dead? And he grabs a stick and he pokes it. He pulls it to the surface, pulls it closer to him. What he finds is it's a muddy white robe. And there are several other muddy white robes floating there. We'll say there are four altogether. There's no sounds of anyone else around. And he thinks back, did he recognize the lyrics of the song? And he thinks he does. He, he thinks it was so far away, but he thinks that, you know what? I think it was Amazing Grace. He doesn't go to church. His parents don't really take him. Uh, he doesn't disbelieve, but he doesn't necessarily believe either. But he knows Amazing Grace. And now that he thinks about it, he realizes that that was the song that was being sung. Pull from the tower again. This is a bad day. So I am up to six. This could be Michael's last day in the woods. What have you proselytized recently? This is another question. So Michael, he recognizes this amazing grace, and he thinks about proselytization, right? Trying to convince others of your belief. 
And he thinks about this argument he had with one of his friends, Dale, recently. Because Dale, along with his parents and, and some other people uh, around, uh, but Dale is a friend from New York City who he keeps in touch with online. And Dale has been trying to help him as, as much as you know a teenager can from a distance. But he's been trying to convince him that it's time to move on. But Michael is, is not ready yet. He's, he's, he's getting into into the conspiracy theory stuff a little bit online. And he's, he's reading about missing people all across the country. And maybe he's, he's kind of stumbled into some of the conspiracy theories about people who go missing in national parks and things like that. And he was talking to Dale about this stuff. And he was trying to convince him that there's more there than meets the eye. And Dale wasn't having it. And, and as a matter of fact, they, they kind of ended the conversation. Dale just logged off of the messenger they were talking on. And um, it was a bad end to the conversation. They haven't talked since. It's been a couple of days. And, and Michael thinks about that. He thinks he could he should reach out to him again. He should reach out to him and talk to him again. And before he can leave, he drew another card. It is the Nine of Clubs. He turns and he's about to leave. And, and this is a very viney area with lots of undergrowth. And he's not paying attention because he's disturbed. He's disturbed about the robes and he's disturbed about Dale and the conversation that he's thinking about. And he's disturbed about the grave that he found. And so he's starting to walk out and one of those vines just seems to sneak around his ankle and trip him. And he goes down. His hands go out in front of him instinctively, catch him right in the mud, sinking deep into the soft, soft mud, right up to his wrists in this mud. And actually grime and slime from the pond splashes up all over his face and the front of his clothes. So now he's thoroughly, thoroughly wet. But he gets up and he he rinses his arms off. He wipes them off as best as he can. And he realizes that on his hands, on his hands, up to his wrists, his hands, the, the stain of that black mud, is, he, it will not come off. There's, there's a piece of it that will not come off on his left hand. And it is a mark of some sort. Just a blotch. You can't quite make out what it is just yet, but there's a mark on his left hand, on the palm of his left hand, that just will not come off. And it makes him think, what shape did the stain take? He doesn't know yet. It's just a blotch. We're going to leave that for the future. Has anyone ever claimed you? He thinks about that hand because he's looking at it, and he's thinking about the first time that he met Jennifer when they were first starting to talk in the school. And, you know, kind of that, that phase where you're joking around with each other and, and you're vibing, right? And uh, she took his left hand. She took his left hand and she wrote, not her phone number because kids don't. She wrote her Instagram handle on it so they could start messaging. And that's how they that's how they initially connected and they began messaging and sending each other memes and things like that. But she wrote it on his left hand, right where that mark is. There was. And he can't help but think about that. And he tears up when he thinks about that because... That was the beginning of something really nice that he really enjoyed with Jennifer. And now he might never even get any closure. He might never find out what happened to her. But he's determined to find it. And so he dusts himself off as best he can. He gets as much grime off, save for that mark that just will not come off his hands. But he's wet. He's bleeding a little bit from his cheek where a thorn scratched him. He's got this black mark on his hand. And he continues on through the gates. King of Clubs. Wow, I did a great job shuffling. As he's walking, the wind picks up. And it wasn't supposed to. So this, this is a strange thing. It was supposed to, he checked the weather before he left. It was supposed to be a slightly windy day, but this wind is kicking up very, very heavily. Uh, as a matter of fact, he sees the dark cloud of a funnel reaching down from the dark clouds in the sky, touching down near him, and he runs. 
he runs from it and he runs deep again into another ditch. The, the mountains around here are all hollows and, and ravines and he finds one and he scrambles down to keep you safe. And the, the tornado blows past him somehow. And somehow he manages to not get swept away at all. And he holds out for a while until he feels safe, until he hears that wind strangely die down again. But when it does, as he stands, he feels aches and pains throughout his whole body. Unlike he's ever heard before, maybe a couple times he's felt these, I'll say in the past, you know, after big games, if he played, um, if he played sports, which we'll say that Michael does. So we'll say, we'll say he played football back in, in, in New York. He didn't do it in upstate New York, but he did back in the city. And after, after really, uh, really intense football games, you know, kick up beating, he's been very, very sore, uh, unable to walk. And that's how he feels, just aches and pains throughout his whole body. He tries to stand, but he just, he can't. He can't stand and he, he reaches for a stick and his hands are actually shaking as he reaches for the stick, which is not like him. And he, he finds a stick that he uses as a walking stick and he begins stumbling out of, of, of the trees, almost like an old man. What was the tornado trying to destroy? His youth. His youth and his innocence. And he's aching now like an old man. And why do you think you're in so much pain? Something happened with those woods. Something happened with that tornado, and it's taking part of him away. It's aging him in, in all sorts of ways. And these aches and pains, they might pass because it might just be a temporary effect, but he's experiencing old age when he shouldn't. And those aches and pains are sapping vitality from him. So it's his vitality that's being taken. And, and it's true in, in a metaphorical sense as well. He's been dedicating his whole life to these woods to try to find out what happened to Jennifer, to try to find an answer to something you may never find. And it's possible that he gives his whole life to this. And that's what the tornado was trying to take from him. I have to keep this card in front of me, a king, because if I draw four kings, something bad happens. And I have to draw again, wow, from the tower. So I am now at seven, seven tallies. So I got a king in front of me, one king down. I got to draw my next card, and it's a joker. Oh, man. Okay, so joker. What does the joker do? The woods have a mind of their own. The woods are unmappable, not because of the difficult terrain, but because the items within shift of their own accord. The jokers represent this. When you first draw a joker, discard it and reshuffle the deck you've been drawing from from the spawns of this prompt. For a moment, you lost your way. But something within the darkness pulled you through the woods. You've been summoned. Were you being summoned or were you being chased? What marker helps you figure out where you are? When you draw this second joker, you're lost. So, okay, so I discard the joker. I got it out of here. And I have to reshuffle the deck. So now I got a joker and a king sitting here. And I got to reshuffle the deck. Okay. One more. Make them really shuffle. So that's day one. Michael's trying to leave the woods. It's getting dark. He's made the deal with his parents that he will be home every day. And it's getting dark. So he's heading home. And so he begins heading home. And as he does, he realizes he's turned around. He, he, he doesn't know where he is. He's not seeing any familiar landmarks. And he knows a lot of familiar landmarks because he spends a lot of time in these woods. Uh, so he's wandering around. He's trying to find uh, his way home. And he catches sight of something. In the distance through the trees, he catches sight of, of the color red, 
which in the fall, some leaves and things are obviously are red. But this is a very vivid, bright red. It's the red of the jacket Jennifer always and he sees it and he begins running to it right away. And he stumbles out onto the onto a street. He stumbles out onto a back street out of the woods because he sees the red that he glimpsed through the woods was a stop sign. But the memory of her and her jacket managed to get him back to our world. But here's the journaling part. I'll end, I'll end this session with this journal part. So here's it goes. Step two, the journal. You return home before dusk every day and record your experiences in a journal. Write about what happened and what you feel, answering the questions presented in the car prompts. We've done some of that already, actually, as we went. So Michael comes home. I'm going to just say this because it'd be weird if I'm going to redo it. Michael comes home when he records those experiences, and he's thinking a lot of the things that he thought of in the woods. Uh, but he writes, you know, dear mom and dad, uh, you've asked me that I record my daily activities in the woods. You're afraid I might be kidnapped or get lost or something, whatever, whatever in parentheses. You promised me not to read this diary and only use it should I not come home by sundown. I agree that the woods are dangerous, but I know how to stay safe. I love the woods, and the woods love me. And with that, he records the experiences of the day, and particularly the things he thought of. And as he takes a shower that night, that black mark on his hand finally fades. But he knows that in the morning again, he has to go back out into the woods. So we'll go on to day two. So I have to roll 1d6, and that's going to tell me uh, how many marks I'm going to have to take. Oh man, six. Wow. Okay. So, so I am up to 13 marks already. Wow. Okay. Crazy. 13 marks for the day. Uh, by the way, 20 and the game ends. And so now I roll again 1d6 to see how many cards I draw from the deck. And then I work through only one card. So that's interesting. So this could be a quick day. One card. I draw it and I've got it. And it is a Jack of Diamonds. So let's go see what the diamonds are. The diamonds theme is supernatural. It's addictive. You cannot take magic with you. Wow. So it's going to be a big day because maybe it's only one day, but it's something really, really spooky. So I'm flipping through the pages here to get to the diamonds. Supernatural. And the Jack. So Michael is, is very, very introspective about yesterday because he encountered a lot. He had, he had a big day uh, yesterday. Um, you know, lots of strange things he found in the woods. And so he's wandering around and subconsciously he goes to some of the higher parts of the woods that he's wandering in and he finds a nice scenic cliff that he gets on top of. And he's just kind of standing there looking out over the trees in the distance. And it's, it's a breezy day. You know, again, it was a breezy day yesterday. So breezy that there was some sort of pop-up tornado that threatened him. Uh, well, that might've been supernatural. And so he's looking out over out of the distance at these this ancient forest and these big, big trees, tall, tall pine trees, particularly in the distance. And as he's standing there and he's watching them, it seems like they almost stand up, pull their roots. He hears this cracking, crunching sound. And it's the trees pulling their roots up out of the ground and walking. Like they're trying to walk and they're walking off into the distance away from him. And he gets this tremendous feeling that he's being watched. Well, that's happening. Like, are, are the trees watching him? Is something watching him? Are the trees trying to show him something? They're going off in the distance in a certain direction. All of them seem to be going in this certain direction. Are they trying to hide something from him? Or are they trying to show him something? He's not sure. He's not sure, but he makes a mark of it. It's very, very far in the distance. And it'll be a long walk through the woods to get there. But he's going to go in the morning because this is the only card for the day. 
So he makes a mark of it. He, he has a kind of a rough hand-drawn map, I say, that he keeps in, in a journal in his pocket. And he makes a mark of the ridge and he makes a mark of the trees in the distance. And he knows that tomorrow he's going there. And here's the other part of this card that he just drew at the end. Search your deck for a joker and move the first one you find to the top of your deck. Well, I already drew a joker. So I have to find the other joker and put him on the top of the deck, which means that I am definitely drawing the joker tomorrow. And when you draw both jokers, uh, I will read what happens. So this is possibly going to be a very short second episode. When you draw the second joker, you're lost. And I have to go to the lost one, which I believe is an ending. So we'll find that out tomorrow because I'm definitely going to draw that card. So Michael goes home and he sits down and he journals, dear mom and dad. I know you agreed that you wanted me to keep this journal. Because you're afraid, mom and dad, you're afraid of what might happen to me. And the truth is that I am too, because the sense that the woods are changing me, that I'm seeing things in the woods. But I'm not sure yet if the trees and the woods are changing me for the better or the worse. And I have to keep going, mom and dad. I have to keep going because I can't give up on her. I can't give up on what happened to Jennifer. I have to find her. I know you'll only read this if it comes to be that I never come back. But I hope you understand that I need to know. Whether she's all right or not, I need to know. And he shuts his journal, and he showers, and he goes to sleep, because he knows that the next day is going to be a very big day. And this is now day three in the morning. He wakes up, and he showers, and he gets all his stuff together, and he leaves. I'm going to go through the process. So I'm going to roll 1d6. I can conceivably, I can't hit 20 pulls before I draw a card. So I'm going to just roll to see how many I do. I get three. So I'm up to 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, 16 pulls off the Jenga tower. No collapse yet. And I'm going to roll to see how many cards I have to get out. Just one. Oh, yippee. The Joker. How How weird is that? Just one. Uh, coincidentally, it's the end game one. So I got to go to page 35 uh, because I've become lost. So let's go see what happens when I become lost. Might not be the end of the game. I haven't read again, yet, read ahead yet, but let's, let's see. Lost one. Draw two jokers. If you have the ace of hearts and have collected at least four nature tokens, you feel a strong connection to the woods. If you have the courage, you may find your way out and continue the game. Are you able? If so, discard the jokers and continue playing. If you're too weak to go on, if you don't have at least four nature tokens, continue reading. Well, that's me. I don't have, uh, I have not drawn the Ace of Hearts and I do not have four nature tokens. So I am too weak to go on. So I got to continue reading. You've seen the same stump five times now. You're walking in circles. Even though you swear you're walking straight, the sun is low and night will find you soon. Something within the woods says, I can help you. I can lead you out. Someone else says, no, let No, let me. And another voice, no, no, it's my turn. You see no one. You sense no one, but they're closing in. Do you walk until you can no longer move? Do you let the voices find you? Is your death one of slow torture or a painfully quick feast? Do you feel like it was worth it? Well, I'm going to say this. Uh, I'm going to tie this back into some things that happened in day one and some other things. So Michael is walking and he made note on his map to go in the direction that those trees he saw moving yesterday were going in. And so he's heading that direction. And 
it's a long, long way away. So he's he's in the woods and, and he loses track of time. There's no cell phone service out there. And he, he can see the clock and he can see where the sun is in the sky, but he knows that it's getting later and he knows he should have turned her back around, but he keeps walking around in circles, walking and walking. He's seen the same stump five times now. And the sun is low and he knows that he's not getting out tonight. What are his parents going to think they were right? The ultimate horror of any teenager, his parents were right. He knows he's lost. Fortunately, he has a backpack and he has some supplies in there. And he sits down beneath a big tree. It's a pine tree and it's quiet here beneath the pines. Some rustling of, 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 of needles blowing in the wind and some little scurry here and there of something in the underbrush. But he hears a voice on the wind. I can help you. I can lead you out. And then he hears a different voice. No, no, let me. And another, no, no, it's my turn. All these different voices coming from all around him. He's alarmed. It's starting to get dim in that gloaming light beneath the trees. He whips out his cell phone and turns it on his flashlight mode. He's shining it around. And he sees at the edge of the light in the trees, just as in the darkness, a red, red of a stop, like the stop sign. He's so red like Jennifer's jacket. And the light hits her eyes. It hits Jennifer's eyes. She's standing there in the woods, looking at him. And she turns and she walks away. Michael can't help it. Instinctively, he reaches to his left hand and he looks at her where she had written her her handle, her Instagram handle, and they had started talking. And he sees it now, that mark that he got on his hands earlier in the day, which conveniently I left on, um, he got, actually, he got the mark on the first day. I'm sorry. The mark he got on the first day, he left it. I left it un, undefined at the time. And now he sees it. The mud had come off when he washed it, but it's there again. It's It coalesces. It's her Instagram handle. She was trying to send him a message. She's in the woods. He gets up and he runs into the woods after her. He can see her just at the edge of the light as the sun sets her red jacket. She keeps looking back at him, smiling, leading him deeper, deeper into the woods. Deeper into the woods. And that's the last anyone ever hears of Michael. I don't know. Is it a happy ending? Could be. Uh, they're together again, so that's good. Uh, forever and ever and ever they're together, so that's that's really good. Maybe, uh, maybe it's not. But Michael and Jennifer become just another story that's told in the woods and the hollows of upstate New York and those mountains. They're never seen again. His parents read the journal. And what do they do? Do they go into the woods and start looking for him? Do they give it to a paranormal investigator who maybe starts going into looking there? Who knows? Who knows? But that's the end of Michael's journal and journey. And this has been Carved in the Garden by Cassie Mothwin. You can find more of her games at CassieMothwin.com. That's uh, C-A-S-S-I-M-O-T-H-W-I-N.com. Uh, she's done some folk horror games for 5e, which I'm going to check out. She's done Tangled Blessings with which uh, Kent and Jess are playing right now. And she's got a couple other things too. So really great game. I've, I've had a great time playing this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to play it again uh, on my own at some point in time. This is a perfect game for like, you know, a cold winter night where you just get yourself something nice uh, to drink and you curl up with the lights down and you play some music and you just play a creepy story. Uh, perfect time of year for it too. So if you're listening, happy spooky season. This is Christian. We are the DMs After Dark. You can find us on social media any place that is worth being as DMs After Dark. You can email us if you like, dmsafterdark at gmail.com. 
again, like I said, uh, Rainy and I will get back to you. We're mostly the ones who answer it. Uh, we have no lives, so we'll definitely get back to you. We love talking about nerd stuff. So reach out with your nerd stuff, your stories, whatever. Every Friday night, uh, every Friday rather, you will uh, see a new podcast from us. Part of that is the Playing With Ourselves Online series where we're doing some of these solo games or small group games. Uh, otherwise, it's a podcast drop of our main campaign right now, which is RuneQuest. Every other Friday, we are streaming that game live on Twitch. And then, of course, it winds up on YouTube afterwards. You can find the videos there if you miss them or if you need to catch up. And again, currently, we're running RuneQuest six seasons in Startar, which coincidentally is about a small clan living high up in the mountains. Uh, so that immediately spoke to my soul as someone who grew up in a place like that. So check it out. It's a great game. We're having a lot of fun. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for everything. We appreciate you all. Have a great night. Don't follow old girlfriends into the woods if you see them. Take care.